Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to the 11th season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Heart Warrior Siblings. And today we're going to talk with our guest about being a big sister to a little brother with a congenital heart defect or CHD and how having a sibling with a CHD affected her when she became a mother. Today's show is Big Sister to a CHD Warrior, Time Together, Time Away, and our guest is Roseanne. Roseanne Franco Bischoff was born in 1956 in Cincinnati, Ohio, the oldest of five. At the age of four, Roseanne's father was transferred back to New York, where her parents bought a house in Hastings-on-Hudson. She attended the local parish Catholic elementary school. Roseanne attended the University of Alabama and had to graduate in August due to an apartment fire in April. She lost everything, textbooks, notes, clothes, but she graduated in August with a degree in communications. Roseanne met her husband and was married in 1987. As both were older, they didn't want to wait to start their family. Their first pregnancy blessed them with twins. Unfortunately, they were three months premature. The younger of the girls, Miriam, came home on her due date. Rebecca passed away two and a half weeks later. She never left the hospital. Roseanne's family continued to grow to a total of eight children. She worked several jobs in the past 30 years to help support her family. She is currently a director of campus ministry at a Connecticut Catholic high school and has been married 30 years to the most wonderful man she has ever met. So welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Roseanne. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. It's quite an honor. Well, it is an honor for me, too. I love meeting people, first of all, who are siblings to my friends. As many of my listeners know, David has worked with me on the Hug Podcast Network, and I helped him to start his own show called Heart to Heart with Nicole and David. So we have a very deep friendship, and I am honored to meet his big sister. Well, thank you so much. Now I get to hear all the scoop on David. (laughs) And we have so many things in common. I'm going to ask you a million questions here. I'm married 31 years now, so we have a lot of things that are in common. But I don't have eight children. That is amazing. Later in the podcast, we'll be talking about your children and having lost a daughter and all of that, because I find that fascinating. But first, let's talk about your little brother. How did having a younger brother with a gentle heart defect help prepare you for what would happen when your twins were born? Well, first of all, I had no idea we'd ever have twins because we didn't know it was our genealogy. And that, that comes from my husband's side of the family. Growing up with David... I had a front row seat. I was the oldest, and I was the only girl, which was a mixed blessing, we want to say, maybe. 
But growing up with David, I mean, when he was six months old, we almost lost him. And it was touch and go for quite a number of years. But my greatest gift was having a front row seat to my parents' conversations in the evening when my mom would fill my father in on what the doctor said about this, that, and the other thing. But my mom was probably the greatest gift to my family because I got to kind of listen in on conversations that she was having with doctors. And I learned to pay close attention to what doctors were saying to her because my mom eventually became an educator. But when a doctor would say something to her, she would repeat it back to them to make sure that she had it right. Oh, wow. So are you saying that when your mother took David to see the doctors that you went along with her to all of those visits? No, I didn't go along, but she would get phone calls from the doctors with test results. So they would give her information. Mm -hmm. And then what she would do is she would repeat back to them what she understood they said to make sure she got it right. Uh Because none of us had a medical background. Right, right. My mother was not a doctor, a nurse, anything. But I got to tell you, if I think if my mother wanted to go for her medical degree at this point in time, she'd get it and she'd <laughs> pass her flying colors. Because she learned with David mm-hmm. to pay very close attention to what doctors were saying. And she knew she needed to get it right. She had to have the information right. So watching your mother interact with the doctors, even though it was on a telephone, I think it's fascinating that you were able to understand exactly what she was doing, even though it was on the telephone. Do you think that that helped prepare you for motherhood and what you would do as a mother yourself? My mom was training me when she didn't know she was training me. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the best education anybody can get is when people are paying attention to what you are doing so that Mm -hmm. they learn for themselves. Right. That's leading by example. And that is the best way to really teach somebody is is to show them with your own life. And it sounds like that's what she did for you. Wow. That's amazing. You didn't know that twins ran in your husband's family till after you had twins yourself. They don't run in your family. No, they do not. We were married in August. And oddly enough, it was David's birthday, December 19th, that we were quote-unquote, diagnosed with twins. Oh, wow. Because we had no idea that there was a history of twins anywhere on either side of the family. And I was already huge. (laughs) (laughs) I was beyond large, and there was no explanation for it. We were diagnosed with twins, and we felt very blessed. And we went to the library and took out all these books on twins and everything else. And within a month, both my husband and I came down with very severe colds. And it was in the process of both of us being home that I noticed there was a change in movement. When you have the ultrasound and you find out that you're having twins, you find out where each of them is. And so you kind of have an idea of who's moving and who's doing what. And all of a sudden I noticed there was a change in movement. So I called my OBGYN. I said there was a change and that I had been sick, and he called me in, 
and we did another ultrasound, and that's when he sent me to specialists up at UConn Medical Center because there was definitely something not right. That must have been devastating for you. Well, it was our first pregnancy. Didn't even get to live with the idea that we were having twins for a month, and all this came about. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I come from a family of great faith, and my husband is a man of great faith, and we thought, you know, this might not mean anything. Mm Mm-hmm but we will go and we will see specialists and we'll have all the tests done because you know what? My obstetrician was fabulous. He wasn't going to take any risks. And it's not like he was saying, I don't want this on me. He said, you need the best. Sure. And he sent me to the best. Right. From that point on, things progressed rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your faith... And seeing how your mother and your father, how their faith played a role in raising you, your brothers, especially David, affected the way that you looked at what was happening with your son of twins. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart, and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Before the break, Roseanne, we were talking about how you are much older than your brother David, and I believe you're 10 years older than him. Is that right? Yes. So you were 15 when he had his surgery at the age of five. How much did you really understand about what was going on at that time? I was acutely aware of what was going to be. The details of the surgery I didn't understand, but I was acutely aware of the fact that David was going to Alabama with my parents. He was having this major surgery. We weren't quite sure... I wasn't quite sure how the surgery, what the surgery was and what it was supposed to do and everything else. My dad, God bless him, always let me know the truth. And the truth was, we did not know if Davis was coming home alive. So did the whole family go to Alabama or was it just your parents and David? My parents went with David and I was home with my three younger brothers And while my parents were away, we had a woman come in from Catholic Charities during the day. And then I would take the bus home from high school, get home about 3.30, between 3.30 and 4, and then she would go home to her family. So it was me and my three younger brothers. Wow. And then my dad would go to Alabama for two weeks and come home for two weeks. Wow. But he didn't get home until 6.30 at night. So I was still in charge of dinner and 
bathing kids and putting kids to bed and dishes and all those kinds of things. You became the caretaker for the family. I was. Wow. I was. That's a lot of responsibility for a 15-year-old. It was the only way to get through it. Mm-hmm. I only had one person that I had shared this whole debacle with. And that was a person that was not, didn't live close to me or wasn't a close friend or somebody I went to school with. It was just somebody that I knew through a friend who had been through something similar. So other than that, I mean, in those days, there was nothing. Right, right, right. Now, how much younger are your siblings than David? So he was only five. He was five. So I was 15. My brother Vincent was 13. Then Andrew was seven. And Philip was... I think he was one. So we still had a toddler at home. Right, right. But the other children were also in school, just like you were. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, okay. Except for Philip. Philip was home. Right. He was a toddler, so he was home. Wow. Your poor mom. That must have been heartbreaking for her to be away from her baby, knowing that the one child that she was with his future was uncertain. My mother's a woman of great faith. She did what she had to do and she trusted in people that God put in her path. Mm -hmm. And that's what she taught us to do. So how long was David in Alabama? Oh my gosh. What was it? Three or four months. Oh my goodness. And he was breathing all kinds of habits while he was down there. He was setting off fire alarms, sprinkler systems. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, he he kind of ran the unit. (laughs) God bless him. But, you know, David was a very, and and still is, a very smart man. Mm -hmm. He was a very smart youngster. And he was very precocious. And, you know, if he could get into something, if he could try something and he didn't know what, what the result was going to be, he wasn't worried about the result. He wanted to just try it. And <laughs> he did that. So did your dad and, come home with all kinds of stories when he came home for his two weeks? Well, when he was home for his two weeks, he was working extra hours because he had been out for two weeks. It was in a time where health benefits weren't what they are today. So if my dad was out for two weeks, he was really trying to make up for time when he was home mm-hmm. for the two weeks. And he was stressed. Sure. My father was, was very stressed. I mean, telephone conversations. Remember, there were no cell phones. There were no laptops. There were no. There was no email. There was none of that. It was two or three phone calls a day, and that was the end of it. And my father would come home late from work and, you know, I'd have dinner ready for him and, and pretty much he would go to bed and he was out the door early. Wow. So your brother was in the hospital for several months. Your family was separated by this really long distance and it was very stressful on your parents, I'm sure. But were there special arrangements that had to be made as soon as David came back as well? <laughs> Nobody knew. 
What? We, first of all, we did. We had no idea he was coming home with a pacemaker, and he was like pencil thin. Okay. So when they gave him the pacemaker, they couldn't even put it in his chest. It was in his abdomen, mm-hmm. which was very common back then, anyway, because they were big units. So most people got it in their abdomen. Right. Well, we didn't know anything about pacemakers or abdomens or what this thing was going to be. <laughs> so my parents come to the door, uh-huh. and they, they arrive at the front door, and David goes around to the back door. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Where's Dave? <laughs> he came in through the back door. Was he just a character? Um, was he just, I, I have to go he, see my backyard? He, and. He he was a character, and he was, <laughs> like I said, he was precocious. So, you know, if he could do something different, he would. <laughs> the doctor said, well, you know, he has to be careful with sports and that kind of thing because his pacemaker protruded out of his abdomen. So could you see it with his clothes on? Could you see that there was a lump somewhere where there shouldn't have been one? Oh, if he was wearing a T-shirt, yeah. Did it scare you? No. No. So your parents were able to say, did they Did they warn you? I mean, obviously you didn't know when they came home because you just said you had no idea. Yeah, like but don't when you... tackle them. <laughs> As a 15-year-old girl, were you really going to tackle David anyway? <laughs> well, you know, we, we could get into horsing around. We knew it was a delicate situation, but we weren't going to make it crazy. Mm-hmm. But my father was very worried about the unit. So he, being an, formerly being an engineer, he was in computer science at the time, had friends who were also engineers, and they actually developed a plastic guard for this pacemaker that protruded the body. It was a plastic guard that was on the outside of his body with elastic from either side of, of this guard that went around him to make sure that if he was knocked down or hit or something else, that the guard would take the blow and not the pacemaker. Wow. That's amazing. And what year was this that he did that? Well, David had the surgery at five. It was when David was five. Okay. So 1972. Wow. Wow. So your dad was way ahead of his time. <laughs> I bet there was nothing commercially available like that. That's amazing. <laughs> his friends were ahead of the time, too, because my father designed it. Uh-huh. And he found another guy who was in plastics that could actually make it. Wow. There were a couple of his friends involved in the whole process. Wow. And, you know, they didn't think about getting a patent or anything like that. <laughs> All they considered was, gee, what do we do for this kid to make sure this unit does not get damaged? Wow. And he doesn't go into heart failure. And that's the way people used to move. But how empowering for you as a teenager to see your parents bring home this child with a chronic illness. I'm sure there were a lot of prayers said for David. So I'm sure that this really did test your faith. And yet everybody was very hopeful through this whole thing, and then for your dad to say, hey, I want him to be able to be a rough-and-tumble kid with his brothers. You know, How am I going to stop that? Oh, I'll just create this plate to protect him. I mean, that's empowering, don't you think, Roseanne? It's definitely empowering. My father, 
he was intelligent, he loved his family, he loved his wife, he did everything in his power to protect his children, and one of the things that he could do to protect David was to make sure that this device does not get damaged. Awesome. So he used his intellect, his engineering ability, he employed his friends who were more than willing to help, mm-hmm. and it all came together. And when people communicate and share ideas and share their concerns and share their problems, other problems can be fixed. I love it. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. Roseanne, I have so enjoyed talking to you and getting to know a little bit more about your family. But one thing that I know from having known David for a while is that you have a very tight-knit family, and all of you are very close. And it seems like that closeness has been able to be maintained even through your adulthood. Can you talk to me a little bit about how your family has been able to maintain that close family ties, even though David is in Texas, and I know your mom is in Connecticut, and it seems like your family is pretty far spread apart, and yet I still have felt a real closeness between David's family whenever he's talked to me about them. Can you talk to me about that? The invention of the telephone was a real asset for our family, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the advent of the cell phone has made it even easier, Mm -hmm. and we've actually gotten my mother an iPhone, which oh, wow. is amazing. That is amazing. I think as we all started going out to our different places, my father, while he was alive, was a real proponent of communication. Mm-hmm. And my mother had been, but my dad was really significant while he was alive in making sure that he touched base with his kids on Sunday. Then, of course, my mom would be on the phone. I mean, the conversation with my parents could be an hour, but that was okay (laughs) because that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And then when my father passed away, my mother continued that. Mm -hmm. And she would say something that one of my siblings said, and it's like, well, maybe we should call them. And we would do that. And we kept in touch. As we grew older and Dave got married and he and his wife had Sarah and I already had kids. Dave would call me, what do you think? What's this? What's that? Mm-hmm. You know, Catholic education, public education, blah, 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 blah. And we would just talk to each other and we would ask each other's opinions. We didn't have to agree with anybody, mm-hmm. but you kind of were trying to get information. Mm-hmm. And as long as we were honest with each other, that's all that really mattered. We didn't right. have to agree with each other but we just had to say what we understood to be true. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's awesome. My brother David is my best friend. Next to my husband, he is my best friend. I want him to do whatever he needs to do to stick around a few more years because I need him around. 
Yeah. I need to be able to talk to him. I'm sure you know that his older brother, Andrew, passed away this fall. And I still have these moments where I say, oh, gee, Andrew would know. Yeah. But Andrew isn't here and I can't call him. And in Andrew's absence, I'll call Dave. <laughs> I remember when David told me that his brother unexpectedly died the fall of 2017. And it was heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking to talk with him and to go through that with him. So I'm sure it was just as hard for you. And when you do lose somebody, because we lost my husband's older sister, and we lost his older brother. And now there's just one sister, and my husband left. And they feel like what you were just saying, everybody has to take very good care of themselves. We can't go through another loss. We need each other. At least in our family, we find ourselves clinging to one another more than ever before. Is that kind of how you feel too? Oh, yeah. We have to be touching base with each other. I mean, I probably talk to David more than I talk to my other siblings, but I think we have more things in common. Mm -hmm. But I talk to my other siblings on a regular basis because got to know what's going on. And yeah. I need to know what's going on with them and they need to know what's going on with me. And we can't be there for each other without knowledge of what's going on. Right. Let's talk about some of your favorite memories growing up with David. Can you tell me what your very favorite memory of growing up with David would be? David had a Snoopy doll, a stuffed animal. It was Snoopy. Okay. Snoopy went everywhere with Dave. Mm -hmm. Snoopy became kind of raggedy mess. <laughs> and I can't remember what year it was. It's got to be within the past 10 or 15 years. We got him a new one. because. Snoopy was such a mess. One of the things that Snoopy taught me was that we all need our security blanket. Mm. And it got him through multiple hospitalizations. I grew up in an age where you couldn't suck your thumb, you couldn't have a pacifier, you couldn't have this, you couldn't have that. You kind of had to stand up by the time you were two months old. And one of the things that taught me was the fact that, you know what? Kids need pacifiers, kids need blankets, kids need pillows, kids need those security devices mm -hmm. in their lives. Yeah. And every time any of my kids needed anything, I always thought of that Snoopy doll. <laughs> That's neat. David was inquisitive and smart. He taught me to go after your dreams. Try something new. Try what people say you can't do. If you find out you can't do it, that's okay. But you might find out that you can do it. Mm -hmm. And then pursue it. I love it. That's what David taught me. And he continues to teach me because he's one of the smartest guys I know. And there's only two of them in my life. So <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> David is a man of great faith. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's helped him to get where he is today? His faith? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Does it give you comfort to know that your brother is a faithful man and that you feel he has a close relationship with God? There's no better comfort because we on this earth cannot do it on our own. That's for sure. <laughs> Man's making great strides mm -hmm. in all kinds of fields. But faith is a great healer. 
I know that you're very, very special to him because when I said I was doing this season of shows focused on siblings, he said, oh, you have to have my sister on the show. So he was really excited about you coming on the show and talking with me. I think early on in David's life, it was tough on me. I had a lot of responsibility. I was trying to figure out my own path. All the family stuff interfered to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I never resented him for it. I never resented my parents for it. I just felt like it was hard. In retrospect, I have absolutely no regrets. None. It's hard, but it sounds to me like confronting what was happening in your family and pitching in to help out the way that you did made you grow up really fast. It made you feel very responsible very early, but it also put you in a fabulous position to move forward with your professional life and then later to be a mother yourself. I think it really helped with the motherhood piece. Mm -hmm. I never really felt secure professionally because I think from an early age, from 10 years old, I was the second mom. Mm -hmm. That's really all I felt secure in doing Mm -hmm. was the household, the family. I knew that and I knew it very well. I never felt as secure until now. And I'm so many years older mm-hmm. and doing what I'm doing now and having gotten a master's degree in theology with eight kids at home and a full-time job. But I did it mm-hmm. and I did it because that was kind of like the next step to what I already knew. Mm-hmm. And David was a big part of that. And as hard as it was many, many years ago, in retrospect, it was the greatest gift Oh, I love it. There's no hard feelings and there's no regrets. I love it. Roseanne, it has been a pure delight getting to know you. I am so thrilled to have been here. It was delightful chatting with you. And I wish you and your family all the very best. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for coming on the program. I have a feeling a lot of our listeners will be able to I don't know if they'll be able to totally relate to what you have gone through. I think you have a rather unique experience, but I hope that they can relate to the role that faith has played in your life and the closeness that your family has come to feel and perpetuated through all of these decades. It's really quite beautiful. Well, that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thank you for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Until then, please follow our show. Heart to Heart with Anna on iTunes. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. This program is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.hug-podcastnetwork.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.